Pierre-Paul Thomas grew up in Montreal, Canada in 1940s. And his whole life, he regretted that he was not able to play hockey with his brothers. You see, Pierre was born blind. And for many years, he walked with a white cane, with obstacles, trying to find obstacles in life. At the age of 66, Pierre fell down the stairs in his apartment complex. He shattered his face. His eyes were swollen. A team of doctors had to put him back together. And after a couple of months, they did, he went to the plastic surgeon and they consulted about repairing his scalp and his face. And they said to him flippantly, hey, why are Abbott? Would you like us to repair your eyesight as well? You see, he had the type of, of blindness that just was just some of the wirings back here that were not connected properly, and that when he was born, it couldn't have been done, but a few years after, they had the technology and the know-how to do it. And Thomas didn't understand what he was, they were saying. What do you mean, put my eyesight back together? I'm blind. Thomas had the surgery, and uh, uh, people that had been born blind and that actually regained their sight, it actually takes a long time for them to adjust to their vision. It takes a lot of therapy, years of therapy, to actually begin to understand what they are seeing. As beautiful as that story is, right, the, the sad reality is, is that he could have had the same surgery so much sooner. Thomas had assumed it was impossible and resigned himself to a life of blindness. In reality, he could experience that gift of sight many decades earlier. He just didn't know any better. Jesus gives sight to a man that was blind from birth. But the punchline to the story is that Jesus gives spiritual sight to those that live in spiritual darkness. People that actually think they understand and see, Jesus reveals that they're in darkness, and he gives them the light of life. Because Jesus is quite clearly says, I am the light of this world. The one thing we know is Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the Savior of the world. The controversy in this story is that it makes it quite clear, right? We've heard it last week, right? Jesus healed this blind man, but then it comes quite clear what the controversy, what the issue is of this story is that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And unlike, we've seen Jesus heal other people on the Sabbath, but unlike previously in John where he heals the crippled man on the Sabbath, what does Jesus do to heal that crippled man? He just uses words. Jesus doesn't violate any Sabbath laws. The man does because he picks up his bed and walks away and they get upset with him. That, But there, Jesus doesn't violate it. Here, Jesus actually spits into the ground, kneads it around, right, makes mud, puts it on his eyes. There's a physical action to what Jesus is doing. The Pharisees were very concerned about obeying God's laws. They loved God. They loved his laws. And so they, they made rules around the rules. They made laws around the laws, like, like uh, picket fences, so they wouldn't come close to violating the law. And the problem that the Pharisees had in lots of their rules, and Jesus is 
pointing this out over and over again, is that the laws that they have, their picket fences, their rules around the laws, they actually think are the law. After time and time has passed, they begin to think their law is God's law. And Jesus is like, you've misunderstood what the law is. Your laws, while may be good intention, were misplaced. And they had 39 specific rules about Sabbath breaking, what you could and could not do. And Jesus violated a couple of them. The first one is healing was prohibited on the Sabbath. Now, not many people walked around and healing, but just kind of normal uh, bandaging of people. The only time you could really care for someone on the Sabbath and healing, you know, just taking care of their wounds, if it was life or death, that was the exception. Certainly, this man has been blind since birth. Healing him on the Sabbath wasn't life or death. It could happen the next day in our mind's eye. The other rule that he violated is this, this sense that, this interpretation that you know, needing a bread. You can't need bread. You can't prepare the meal. It needs to be prepared the day before, right? And so this kind of stricken that Jesus somehow needed this spit and dirt together to make mud. It's a violation of the Sabbath. Okay. So the Pharisees confront the blind man. And why do we know what their issue is with the Sabbath? Because how did Jesus do this? Tell us how did this happen? Because we want to confront him. They are worried about the violation of their Sabbath laws. Their argument, this is their argument, which is really important. How can Jesus be from God, let alone be God? They know what he's claiming to be if he's a sinner if he violates the Sabbath law. How can he be a messenger of God? How could he be God if he violates the Sabbath law? That's their argument. The blind man's response in his argument, how can he be a sinner if he heals me? If he can heal blind people, if he can heal me, how can he be a sinner? Now, who has the stronger argument? The Pharisees or the blind man? It's actually the Pharisees have the stronger argument. The Pharisees actually have more of a biblical, scriptural argument here. The blind man argument is not scriptural at all. Let's give you a perspective of the Pharisees and how their heart is seemingly in the right place. In Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass... And if he says, let us go after others' gods, which you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord our God is testing you. You see what they're getting at? It's like, listen, we don't care whether he healed you or not. We don't care whether he did miraculous signs or wonders. He's telling you to follow him. He's telling you that he is God. That's, that's absurd. That's a violation. You can, I, I, mean, I hope you can understand from the perspective. Like if someone claims that they are God, even if they do miraculous signs, you should be questioning that. Scripture tells us to question it. The Pharisees are like, that's not a good enough argument. Jesus actually makes it very clear in John. He does not want people following him because of his signs and wonders. Because he can do miraculous things. Jesus knows the law. This is He writes the law. You, you can even get it at... When, when Moses does miraculous things in front of Pharaoh, it's, some of his Pharaoh's magicians do the same exact thing. The signs and wonders 
don't point to the authority. There's always a reason for signs and wonders, but Jesus says, don't follow me for this. The blind man does not have a good theological argument of who Jesus is. The irony, though, is that the blind man is right and the Pharisees are wrong. I just want you to pause there for a moment. How many times in your life have you been technically right and yet have been so wrong? I mean, you have, you have won the argument. You have the better discourse. You have the better reason. You have the better, but yet somehow you are in the exact wrong. I mean, I get this way a lot because of my tone. I could have the best argument by behavior is not appropriate. There, let me know. We have described social media. People might have a lot of great argument, but their tone is just not going to win the day. And they are in the wrong And sometimes you and I are more concerned about being right than actually living in the right. The Pharisees have got confused. They got confused out of concern of not breaking the law that inside they have actually violated the character of who God is. So they asked the blind man, all right, who do you say that he is? And the blind man responds, he's a prophet. A prophet is a messenger of God. And it's a perfectly good answer. It's not totally accurate, but it's not totally inaccurate. No, Jesus is a messenger of God. He brings the message of God. But you could tell the blind man doesn't really know. The blind man hasn't really understood the gospel of Jesus. In fact, the blind man hasn't even seen Jesus yet. He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. We know that Jesus is more than a messenger of God, that he is God. He is the incarnation, God in the flesh. And so they they then turn to his parents. Like, we're not getting sufficient answers out of this guy. We'll turn to his parents. How does he see? It goes back to that how question. How did this happen? His parents don't want to respond. They said, talk to him. He's an adult. Why don't they want to respond? Because they are fearing the Pharisees. They are fearing what actually could happen is that they'd be excommunicated, kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of community of the faith because of the power of the Pharisees. So they say, no, listen, ask the son. We don't know anything about this. Go ask him. He is of age. So the second time they turn to the blind man in John 9, 24 to 25. So for the second time, they call the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, I just want, that is a, that is a leading question, right? They, they have kind of forced the answer. The, the give glory to God is more of an idiom to say, hey, own up to the truth. We know that he's a sinner. Tell us what's really going on here. And how does the blind man respond? I mean, he doesn't have much information, does he? He just knows that this guy came up, spit in the ground, put it in his eyes, and healed him, told him to go to the pool, wash it off, and he could see. So he says, the one thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. And this is something this is we quote all the time, right? I don't know, but I was blind, and now I see. This is a great, honest, and practical response 
But hear it clearly. This is not the gospel. I don't know, but I was blind and now see is not the good news. I mean, it's, it's practical news for this guy. He gets to see. You see. It's a testimony. It's his testimony. I don't know what happened. All I know is now I see. But a testimony is not the gospel. Your personal story is not the good news. It's not bad, but it's not the good news. A, a testimony is this. It's, this is what God has done for me. And that is important to share. It is important to hear. The gospel is explaining clearly that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he is the living God. That's the gospel. That is the good news. I want you, it's really important to understand, right? Uh, testimony is more like pre-evangelism, pre-sharing the good news. It's super important. But it's not evangelism. It, it's, it's not clearly stating what the gospel is. Both are important. But if you just live in testimony, you are not sharing the good news with people. Our faith is not about what God has done for us or what is God doing for us. You make what do you mean? It's sure it is. It's about what he's, how he saved us, that he, he's forgiven our sins. That's aspects of it. But that is not the gospel. Our faith is not about our circumstances. Because otherwise... If, you're, if your faith is about your circumstance or the gospel is about your circumstance of what God has done for you right now, it will ebb and flow, the gospel in your life, based on your circumstances, because that's not the promise of God. Our, the gospel is about our faith. Do you trust God? Not this is what God has done for me. Those influence each other. Right, we have experience. You think about the, the Israelites, how they were reminded to stay in faith is they're reminded, you remember the God who freed us out of Egypt? His promises that he gives us now will come true. Those are helpful things. Those are testimonies. It is not the good news. The good news is God is God. Jesus is Lord. And we are to trust in him. That's the message. Jesus was and is Lord and God of the blind man, whether he healed him or not. He tells us at the very beginning, like, like I'm going to heal this blind man and it's for the glory of God. It's not because I want necessarily the blind man to see, because I have something to do here to show you something. I have to show you that, that the gospel is clearly that I am the good news, that I am God. I don't think the blind man understood this at this moment, or he saw it or not. His testimony at that moment was, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now see. Give your testimony to people. Share what God has done and what God is doing in your life. But at the same time, maybe it doesn't have to be the exact same time, also in your life, share the gospel. Be explicit, 
to people that Jesus is Lord, that he is the, the living God, and he is the hope, not our circumstances. And then there's this back and forth in this story of the blind man. And the blind man gets a little cheeky with the, uh, with the Pharisees. I mean, uh, some part, like, really uncomfortable. Like, what is going to happen to this blind man? How, I mean, who is he talking to? And he, all he knows is, like, he says to them, like, you don't know who he is? You should, of all people, should know who he is. This is amazing. The learned Pharisees ought to know who Jesus is, how he does things, and you don't know? This is amazing. You're asking me? Verses 31 to 34. He goes on to say, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? It's still a weak argument by the blind man. If he's trying to, to prove that Jesus who he is, or he doesn't even know who Jesus is. It's still just a weak argument. See, this man must be from God because he healed me. That's not really a great biblical argument. There ought to be more testing and more discerning in this. But the Pharisees, you can see their character right away. How do they respond to his argument? They have an ad hominem attack. They don't even engage the argument. says, we're not even listening to you. You're a sinner because you were born blind. And we know people that are born blind, it's because of their sin. Which Jesus is like, no, no, that's not why this man was born blind. It goes right to the character that something is wrong with the Pharisees and how they are behaving. Even if they might have correct theological or scriptural arguments, they are right. But what the blind man does get at and I'm not sure he knows that he's good at, that the Pharisees have forgotten is that healing of blindness is extremely rare in Scripture. Can you think of another story in the Old Testament of where a blind man gets healed? There's really only one, and I'm not sure it's really about physical blindness. We'll get into it. That's a different sermon at a different day. But here's the point. Because there are prophecies in the Old Testament, that point to the Messiah, he will come and heal people that are blind. The Pharisees have must have forgotten this because this is not a common thing. This is not something that happens. Isaiah 29, 18, in the day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 35, 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Isaiah 42, 7. This is the one Jesus actually quotes, if you think about in the other Gospels, where he goes into the synagogue for the first time to open up his public ministry. This is the passage in which he quotes. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison that those who sit in darkness. Now, you may think, these sounds like spiritual. This, is, this sounds like a prophecy that Jesus is going to bring spiritual sight. And I think certainly that is true. But I think we see the reason why Jesus, he says, I'm going to heal this man of blindness to bring glory to God. Not because he can actually do the healing. 
I mean, that doesn't really say the glory that he's talking about. What the glory is talking about is that healing points to him as the Messiah, that he is the living God that controls all things. That's the good news. That's the glory of God, which is being proclaimed. What do the, what do the Pharisees do? They, they hear this argument, you're a sinner, and they cast him out. The same thing that his parents feared happens to this blind man. They cast him out, excommunicate him, and the, what's the next thing we know that happens? Jesus finds him in the story. I mean, doesn't that communicate a lot to us? Jesus finds those that are cast out by this world. In John 9, 35 through 41, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I mean, he gets to the question. He gets to the question, is what of our faith? Is it our testimony? Or is it, is, do you trust? Is it what God does for you? Or do you trust in the Son of Man? Now, this is a whole different sermon, but the Son of Man is a, is a real technical theological term that's referred to out of Daniel. It's one that Jesus exclusively uses, and it, it certainly is a concept of mean that he is uh, a human, but it also the Son of Man is a divine prophecy. The Son of Man is a divine figure. So it's clear when, when Jesus claims the Son of Man title, he's saying, I am God. I am divine. We can ask me more about that at a different time. But so this is what he's saying. Do you trust the Son of Man? He's really saying, do you trust me? Now, of course, the man doesn't know who Jesus is talking about as much because he hasn't seen Jesus. He doesn't know who he is. And he answered him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he, he is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus moves him from personal testimony. I was once blind and now I see. And he gets to the heart of the matter. He, Jesus proclaims the gospel. I am the son of God. I am the son of man. I am God himself. Do you trust in me? And this guy responds. Moves from calling him a prophet to yes, I do believe you are the son of man. And what does he do immediately? He worships him. He, he prostrates. He gets down that, on knees or all, all the way down to the ground and worships him. And only the posture you would worship God himself. Jesus gives this man first physical sight. And then he gives him spiritual sight. The physical sight was really just to point to all people that he is the glory of God that he is the, this Messiah that is to come. At Jesus' time, and before his, just shortly before, there are a lot of people that claim to be the Messiah. It became kind of an issue. There are a lot of people that claim to be the Messiah, that they're going to overthrow Rome. And so Jesus differentiates himself. And one of the ways he differentiates himself is not just some of the signs and wonders, but particularly the healing of blindness. Physical blindness which is a metaphor that Jesus is using to point that he is God, but that he ultimately does is give spiritual sight. He allows people to see who he is. This is the gospel truth. God gives spiritual sight. 
Jesus gives spiritual sight, allows people to see that he is Lord. Jesus goes on in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, that those that see may become blind. Giving, Jesus' purpose is to give spiritual sight to his children. Spiritual sight to people that are blinded by sin, which is all of us. This is the purpose of Jesus. And John 3.17, Gail read it today. This judgment that he's talking about, this is not an active judgment. Jesus doesn't have to come in the world and actively judge because the world stands condemned already for all of its actions. We are already in condemnation. Jesus doesn't need to come in and judge the world. What he needs to do is just clear, I need to give spiritual sight to save the world. In John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Who does not, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see, that's an interesting use of a verb, see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus has come to give spiritual sight, which is faith. The ability to trust that he is Lord. Just like Pierre Paul Thomas didn't know any better, and really, how could he know any better that he could actually have seen earlier? Jesus comes into a world to a people that think that they understand, think they actually understand how the way the world works, who God is, and he shows us that we're actually blind, that we don't know who he is, that we're actually more conformed, if, we're, if we're, those who are in Sunday school, more conformed to this world than transformed. Jesus wants to transform us by the word of God. He wants to give sight to those that are blind, spiritual sight to those that are blind. And of course, verse 40, some of the Pharisees heard some of the things that he was saying. Look at, are we blind? Are you saying we are blind? And Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now, now that we say we see, your guilt remains. They understand that Jesus is talking about spiritual sight. They clearly get what he is saying. And he, he says, remember, yeah, I, we had the correct answer, didn't we, Jesus? We had the correct theological arguments. And Jesus is not saying in this place, that if you're spiritually blind and don't know that you're spiritually blind, that you have no guilt. That's not what he's saying. He quite clearly says in John 3, we all stand condemned. Paul makes it quite clear that no one is without excuse in the book of Romans. Even if you don't know God, even if you don't know that you're sin, you are not without excuse. This is the concept of general revelation that God gives clearly throughout all his creation of who he is. And then there is special revelation. God reveals quite clearly what Jesus is doing of who he is. We all stand condemned. None of us can proclaim unless there's special revelation. The, the problem with the Pharisees is they have the special revelation in front of them. They have God himself, Jesus, in a physical form, in his words, speaking to them. And yet they are still blind which communicates a lot of things. It communicates that the only way that they would see is not the appearance of God, but if something happens internally in them. Jesus needs to do something. God needs to do something 
in them. Spiritual sight is a gift of God and God alone. This is why Jesus comes into the world to give spiritual sight to those that are in darkness. The one thing that we do know is Jesus is the gospel. The one thing that we do know is the gospel is not what God has done for us and what God is going to do us. The gospel is that God gives us the gift of faith. This is his act and his work in us. It is not us acquiring faith. It is us professing faith when he gives us faith. It is professing he is Lord. There are people around us that don't know they're spiritually blind. There's people in this room that don't know they're spiritually blind. People to think they see and understand, but they don't. There's people in our families. There's people all around us that quite clearly don't know who Jesus is. Our job is not to win theological arguments with them. Our job is not to prove that they are blind. Our role, one, is to give testimony. Give testimony. Do what the blind man said. This is what God has done for me. This is what God is doing for me. And I think in just a place to be, and it's easy for me not to be in this place, is I lose sight of what God is doing for me. I lose sight of his active grace in my life every day and every moment because I'm looking for gigantic things. And yet as God works in very small ways in every moment in my life, there's grace. And so there's, I think he gives us spiritual sight to actually see the way he works in our life. But give testimony to those small things and people might say, ah, that's not God. That's, you don't need to prove that to them. This is your story. You share it. I can see in the past month and a half how God has opened my eyes into the ways that he minutely works in some, and I can't even see all the ways that he's working. I don't know the outcome of what will happen in my life. I do know of all the little graces that he's put in, in his life for me. Spiritual, I will give testimony to that. But don't stop at testimony. Don't stop at testimony. We need to clearly proclaim to people, share who Jesus is to people. We don't need to force it upon them. We don't need to demand that they trust him, but we need to clearly share that Jesus is Lord, that he is the good news, that he is God of God, King of kings, author of all things. Our role is to share our testimony and to share the gospel, share Jesus. Remembering it's not us that gives spiritual sight. It's not you that gives spiritual sight. It is only God that gives spiritual sight. This is his glory. The ordinary means, the ordinary means in which God gives spiritual sight to those that are blind is through the proclamation of the word of God sharing the good news. Sharing that Jesus is Lord. Now, can God do extraordinary things? Yeah, God can do extraordinary things. 
but the ordinary means in which the people around you are going to know and have spiritual sight is God is going to work through your sharing of the gospel. Sharing your testimony and sharing the explicit gospel with them. The one thing we know, God saves. God saves. The one thing we know, Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. Let us pray. Gracious Father, glorify your name. Glorify it in this world as it is in heaven. Give us the sight to see your glory, to see your grace in multiple aspects of our lives and the lives around us. Give us a spirit of gratitude and humility to see them, to speak them. Give us the courage to share who you are to people around us. Help us to love them so much that we're willing to share who you are. The author of love. The God who is love. The definer of love. In the midst of all this, help us to not be so consumed about being right or being wrong. Help us to be in the character of who you are forming us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Thank you, God, for your continued work in your spirit, in this world, and in our life. Praise be to you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. amen.